Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you like what you're hearing right now? Then be sure to check out VOC Nation. Whether it's on VOCNation.com or your favorite podcast provider, VOC Nation offers the greatest in live and on-demand content, great interviews, and incredible insight from those who have lived the business. Seven days a week, VOCNation.com. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter at VOCNation. Welcome to another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today was the legendary producer of the AWA's All-Star Wrestling and known as Polish Joe. He is also the co-host of the self-proclaimed number one preeminent podcast, AWA Unleashed, with Chris Tubbs and Mick Karch. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome in Polis Joe Chupek. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, Brian. How are you doing? I, I, I got to say, before we even get into that, legendary producer just sounds, um, I will take the compliment, but uh, hey, I was just a video guy doing professional wrestling and uh, uh, at, at the right place at the right time, I suppose. Yeah, I mean... When you get recognition from legendary commentators like Ron Trongard, <laughs> Lee Marshall, Larry Nelson, Al Darusha, that says a lot. And especially because we, before we uh, came on, I asked you, you know, because you're not, you don't look that old. And I was like, how old were you? And you said you were 20 years old when you started there. And I was just in shock because, you know, I never met, I never saw who you were until we met at AWA reunion back in October. And I was like, man, he don't look that old to be, but kudos to you for what you've done. So. Well, I appreciate it. I was indeed 20 years old. Um, all of those, um, uh, so I forgot to turn my alerts off. All of those, um, you know, kudos from, uh, I will call them legendary announcers. Um, very humble, very appreciative of, yeah. uh, of them doing that. Of course, Larry Nelson was the one that gave me the moniker Polish Joe. <laughs> there's a reason that you didn't see me for a long time on camera because that was the whole gimmick, I suppose, back in the day. The unplanned yeah. gimmick known as Polish Joe. Yeah. No, it was, uh, I mean, I enjoyed it as a kid. It was a great program, especially when you guys went to Vegas. Uh, you know, it was – I miss it, and I know a lot of people do. So I, you've I, come yeah. a long way since then. You still live in Minnesota. Uh, let's talk a little bit about growing up. I know you're from Minnesota. Uh, talk, let's talk a little bit about your childhood growing up and how you got started in, in, in the wrestling business. Wow. Well, I, I grew up in a, a small town called South St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, I guess the uh, first thing it would have been famous for was at one point it had the world's largest stockyards. And growing up just the hill from those stockyards on any particular warm, humid evening, you were reminded of the infamous stockyards. But um, I, no, I mean, I grew up a wrestling fan. My mom and my godmother, uh, who lived right across a, a city park from where I grew up, they were huge wrestling fans. And I guess by extension, my dad was as well. 
But it was my mom and my godmother. They're the ones that got me hooked into it. Uh, going back to the Saturday night broadcasts of All-Star Wrestling with Marty O'Neill, um, the, the run, don't walk to get your tickets to that Saturday evening <laughs> event. Um, you know, grew up, I, I remember my first match, my first main event match at the old St. Paul Auditorium. Um, it would have been, oh gosh, probably, I'll say 69, 70. I mean, who the hell remembers <laughs> you know, when they're four yeah. or five years old? At least all of the details. Um, right. But the first main event, and the way I tell the story is I went there and the main event was uh, Mad Dog Bashan versus Crusher in a cage, and I was hooked. Yeah. It just became uh, a, a Saturday evening staple, later a Sunday morning staple, mm-hmm. and uh, never did I dream of working for the AWA. It wasn't an aspiration. Um, but I did, I did, and uh, that, that's a, a whole nother story, but that's, um, you know, I mean, that in a very small nutshell is my growing up as it pertains to professional wrestling. Yeah. Um, graduated, uh, well, in high school, uh, as I sort of, um, move into how I got started in my career. In high school, I did all of the PA announcing for the high school sports. Uh, I've been a longtime sports fan and had aspirations to be a play-by-play commentator for either football or baseball. So I went a year to the U, uh, University of Minnesota, and uh, uh, discovered college just really wasn't for me and decided to go dropped out after um uh actually dropped out after uh the fall of what would have been my sophomore year um i was equipment manager for the university of minnesota football team under uh, lou holtz and uh decided i just i needed to do something different um I, i would i just didn't want to do college so i went to um uh, I guess you could call it a technical school called the Brown Institute back in the day. Um, it evolved to Brown College. It's no longer around. But Brown Institute um, is a nine-month course, three months of radio, three TV, and another three of radio. And it was during the TV course, the three months of that, the very first day there was uh, a new student that was just there for uh, the television part of it. And I recognized the last name, and it happened to be Kathy Ganya, oh. one of one of Vern's uh, four, four children. And I, I believe Kathy is second in the pecking order. I think it's Greg, Kathy, Donna, and then Beth. But... Um, I, when I heard the name, I had to ask. Yeah. Well, being a wrestling fan, and she said, yeah, um, I'm Vern Gagne's daughter. Well, that just opened up the floodgates to a bunch of questions. Uh, the, the very, this, I guess technically the second question that I asked her was, um, what was the Crusher's real name? Crusher was my favorite wrestler growing up and, she told me it was Reggie Lozowski, and we just became friends. Yeah. And uh, once TV was done, went back to radio, I didn't think anything of, you know, the the, the, the friendship or, or any connection to Kathy Ganya, let alone the AWA. I didn't think anything of it. Yeah. Uh, the day I graduated, or our class graduated, um, went down to a, a little bar a couple of blocks down called the Poodle Club. Uh, you know, might have had a drink or ten that day, and uh, <laughs> I get home. And uh, one of my classmates, um, as Larry Nelson calls him, Whipper Will Bryan, uh, who was a classmate, uh, uh, an Iowa Hawkeye fan, and uh he called me up and said that Kathy had called him 
about coming in to run camera for some interviews for the AWA. And Will said, yeah, sure, sounds good. He wasn't really a wrestling fan, but he thought, yeah, sounds good. And then she asked Will if there was anybody else that he could think of um, that would be good for it. And Will right away says, well, yeah, what about, what about Joe? And, uh, Kathy apparently said, oh, you know, I can't believe I didn't think of him. So went into, um, the AWA offices the following Monday and uh, both Will and I, uh, were, were given the crash course on how to operate, uh, the, the camera and, uh, and so forth. And the first interviews that we did, uh, that, that we recorded was of gorgeous Jimmy Garvin and Mr. Electricity Steve Regal, along with their manageress Precious. They had just the night before in uh, St. Paul, they had de- defeated the Road Warriors for the tag team uh. championships. And of course, I always have to add in the caveat of with the help of the fabulous Freebirds, those dastardly flying Freebirds. <laughs> yeah. And um, so we did uh, several interviews with Garvin and Regal and Precious uh, for, for different uh, uh, – uh, we did general interview, a couple of market edit interviews for upcoming matches they had in the towns. That's the way uh, the show was done back then. Mm-hmm. And then we got done with it, and the producer at the time – uh, Mike Shields, who uh, actually came up from Memphis, uh, Jarrett, uh, Jerry Jarrett uh, recommended Mike to uh, Vern when the AWA got the ESPN contract. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mike asked us into the office and said, hey, would you guys be interested in doing an internship? Well, shit, I'm 20 years old. I'm fresh out of <laughs> broadcast school. And here I thought I was going to, you know, go to some small town and, you know, with a population of about 30 people broadcasting as a, as a DJ or something along those lines or, or doing play by play commentary for some local town team. I thought I, by all means, yes, I'd yeah. love to take the internship. And so October 7th of 1985, I started my career as a production assistant. And the rest, as they say, is history. Wow. That is amazing. That is, you know, what a stroke of luck that <laughs> you got, you were in a class with, with, uh, Kathy Ganya. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I've talked to Greg, uh, several times. Nice guy. Uh, mm-hmm. I've never met the sisters in person. I've, I've only met Greg and, uh, they seem like a, a, a nice family. And, uh, you know, I remember on seeing them on TV sometimes doing interviews or whatever. And it was pretty, it was pretty neat. Let's talk a little bit about the, you know, you had a lot of interaction, obviously, with those guys once you started in there. Can you give us a story maybe of a, maybe a really, Interesting one that you had with one of the a well-known wrestler. Oh my, there are <laughs> there are uh, several um, of them. Uh, I, um, I guess let me share uh, a story with uh, that involves Sherry Martell. Okay. So my very <clears throat> excuse me, my very first trip to Las Vegas when uh, the AWA shifted from doing the shows um, uh, in Atlantic City as part of Pro Wrestling USA and the early uh, AWA championship wrestling matches were done. Mm-hmm. Uh, switched over to the showboat and, you know, here I am, um, still a 20-year-old kid. Maybe I was 21 at the time, but uh, going to Vegas. Actually, I no, I would have been 20. So I remember if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, you had to be 21 to drink in Vegas at the time, and I wasn't quite there, but I managed to maybe get a cocktail or two playing uh, <laughs> in the seat. But anyway, so uh, the, the the trips to Vegas were always short. You know, we weren't there for for fun. Um, it was about. Uh, 
uh, about 21 hours that we were in Vegas. We'd fly in on a Saturday morning, uh, do the show, and then fly back out uh, Sunday mornings. Well, being a you know a, a young a young kid, I uh, uh, decided I ah, don't need sleep. I'm going to enjoy. Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada. So um, I, I, I stayed up uh, all night, um, went back to my room, and unfortunately fell asleep. Um, only uh, th- this was probably about about five five thirty in the morning, and the flight was uh, just after seven in the morning. Now this was before. You needed to be at the airport for two hours, of course. I mean, you could show yeah. up 20 minutes before and, you know, fly right through, do the uh, 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 do the old O.J. Simpson Hertz commercial, you know, running through the airport. Yeah. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, uh, about 6.30, I hear a pounding at the door. And it's Larry Nelson. And he took care of me. said, Joe, I wasn't even Polish Joe yet. Joe, Joe, we gotta, you know, hey, get up. And I'm scrambling. I'm tired. I, uh, you know, still wouldn't say drunk, but I certainly wasn't sober either. <laughs> so got into the airplane finally and thinking, okay, I can, you know, sleep a little bit on the flight home. Well, mid flight, I woke up with Sherry Martell. It was about like this. <laughs> she was right in front of my face and she had lipstick. Oh uh, no. She had lipstick on. And well, obviously I knew what she was trying to do. She was going to put makeup on me and and I wouldn't know it when I woke up and I'd be walking through the airport. Well, fortunately I did wake up. Um, she started laughing and, you know, the, the boys around her started laughing, you know, trying to, to, uh, initiate the, the new young kid on the block. And so she got up and I said, Sherry, did you get any makeup on me? Uh, no, Joe, no, I did not. Well, uh, you know, shall we say I was going to call bullshit until I could prove it myself. And so I decided to try to get up to go to the bathroom to look for myself, get this off as quickly as possible. Well, they did manage to do one thing, and that was to tie both of my shoes to the airplane seat. And, and, and by the way, in double knots. And so I was finally able to get out, went into the bathroom, and I did indeed see that they did not get it. Came back to my seat. Of course, I mean, what, what am I going to do? I, I could only laugh. They, they got me, but they didn't get me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So then just one, <laughs> one story with scary slash sensational Sherry Martell. Yeah. That's, that's a good one though. That's pretty funny. You know, you did a lot of shows with them. Um, you had a lot of interaction with, let's say, Rockers, uh, Scott Hall, Kurt Henning, uh, Playboy Buddy Rose, Pretty Boy Doug Summers, Garvin and Regal you talked about. What was your interactions like with those guys as far as – was there a difference with, between when you were in production and then when you were – off production was it different? I mean, was it? I don't know how to say it. Like a not night and day, but you know, your business when you're in production and you're not in business. What was those <laughs> kind of interactions like for you? You know, the, the the thing with professional wrestlers in general, not all of them, of course, but um, uh, and, and I want to say this. Um, respectfully and appropriately, but they're all 
really just a bunch of grown up kids. <laughs> and so, uh, and which, which is great. So the, the, uh, you know, playing pranks, uh, on one, uh, on one another, um, just having fun in general. But then when it came time to, for them to do an interview, like on interview day, they became professionals. Um, well, basically once the countdown started, that's when they stopped being the, the young kids. <laughs> or young children and went professional. They would do their interviews and, uh, uh, later when I was directing them, they'd come into the control room and ask, Hey, how was that? Any ideas? Any suggestions? And then once that professionalism stopped, they went back to being little kids again. Uh, it, it's just the way, um, just the way that it was. And, uh, part of what I love about the business that um, it, it never, shouldn't say never. It needed to be business when it was business, yeah. but it, more times it was just a bunch of grown-ups pretending to be children and having a blast. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard a lot of stories, I guess, about Kurt Henning <laughs> and what a prankster he was. The yeah, any good stories? Yeah, let's. You got any good ones of, of him? I mean, I had the honor of meeting his uh, his widow, Leona, uh, Lenise, Lenise, excuse me, Lenise Henning, uh, back at the AWA reunion with, with Hank, his youngest son. Really nice uh, people. Uh, very yeah. down-to-earth, very approachable. I mean, I probably talked to her for, for 10 minutes. And, and her son, Hank, uh, just Absolutely nice people, but let's, let's, you know, Lenise, I know she was probably the, you know, the held the family together piece and, and Kurt, you know, I'm sure he was a good father and I'm sure, I'm pretty sure of that, but he was a jokester. You got any, you got any stories about old cool Kurt? Uh, it's not a question of any stories. It's which one to tell and which ones I can tell. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, let me start with Lenise. So Lenise and Hank, um, that's the first time I had met uh, Lenise uh, and Hank was at that reunion. Oh, and, um, you know, she, if I'm not mistaken, Mick Karch had said that was the first time she had made a public appearance as it relates to Oh. Uh, the AWA and professional wrestling. She just liked to stay in the background. You know, she yeah. she raised the kids and and did a, a very admirable job. But yeah. um, the the one of the stories that I tell about Kurt and I told Lenise this story. Um, I call it the fourteen story. Okay. So, <laughs> so on one of the trips to Las Vegas, Kurt. Uh, I had to stop at the, I had to run to the AWA offices, which is about a half hour from where I lived, uh, to pick up some, uh, one inch videotapes, which is what we, we recorded, um, all of the matches on. And so I just, at the office, get everything done, just pull onto the highway. And I look in my rear view mirror and I see this car driving up like a bat out of hell. And so I'm, okay, I better stay in the right lane here. And the car pulls up right next to me. And I don't notice right away, but it stays right next to me. So I'm like, okay, what the hell is going on? This car, it's not a cop. It's it's just a car. And I look over, and there's Kurt Henning. And he's motioning me to pull over to the side of the road. Now, I'm on a, I'm on a highway. We are on a highway. <laughs> So I finally pull over. Kurt pulls up behind me on the on the side of the road, on the shoulder of, of the highway. Kurt comes out of his car and he has, well, let's he's, he's got a joint in his hand. Ah. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you pulling me over? So he hands me the joint to take a hit. He's like, Kurt, I gotta work. He's, ah, what? You'll be fine with one. So yes, indeed, I, I I took one toke off of it, and I said, Kurt, that's fine. I got to get into the car. Let's go. So 
He goes, today, 14 is our lucky number. And I go, why 14? He goes, look at the clock. It's 8.14 in the morning. And our flight is 9.14 in the morning. So he goes, seven's our lucky, or 14's our lucky number. And you get seven into 14 twice. So just keep that in mind. I go, okay, whatever. <laughs> well, and, and the, the, the flight, we get to the airport, the flight number is 777 to go to Las Vegas. I'm like, okay, you know, fine, cool. I, and I, I knew that. That wasn't like uh, anything out of the ordinary. It was the same flight we took every time to Vegas. Yeah. So we get into the, uh, we go to check in and both Kurt and I are in row seven. He looks at me and goes, you know, pointing above to the numbers. I'm like, yeah, whatever, Kurt. <laughs> we land in Vegas. He goes, hey, you want to split a cab to go to the showboat? Sure. We go to a cab. It's cab 14. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is sort of getting creepy. We, we get to, uh, uh, get to the showboat and check in and we're both on the seventh floor. <laughs> it's like, uh, okay, you know, whatever. Starting to get a little eerie. Yeah. But, um, we, I continued on. So I'll go and do my, my thing. I bring the tapes down to the truck. I don't see Kurt all afternoon and, uh, do the, the taping and, get all of that wrapped up. I, I'm in the truck. Uh, by, at that point, I was directing the graphics. So get back uh, after everything's done, bring the tapes back to the room, go down into the casino, and I'm sitting at one of the blackjack tables, and right behind us is the roulette wheel. Kurt comes and sits at third base, the far left position as you're looking at the blackjack dealer. Yeah. You know, lays down money to play there and turns around to put money down on the roulette wheel. And the dealer says, no, you can only, you can't do both. You can only play one or the other. So Kurt stood up, made sure that nobody was going to take third base because he was going to play blackjack, turns around and decides to put $5 down on 14 on the roulette wheel. And I have checked. My memory always escapes me if it was 14 black or 14 red, but it was 14. Yeah. Well, guess what hits? 14. 14. So Kurt is just milking it. Just 14. 14 is it, brother. Okay, so <laughs> comes back to the blackjack table. He goes, you get two sevens, you get a 14, we're doubling down. It's like Okay, that's insane. The first several times that that happens, we both won. I'm like, oh this goodness. is insane. We didn't win every time, but it right. was the majority of the time we would win. We were hot table, cold dealer, whatever you want to call it. So Kurt and I were were winning quite a bit of money. <laughs> he says, "Hey, let's let's go down on the strip. We got a." We got to take this streak and go down to, to Caesars. So we do that. Same principle, same everything. Oh, by the way, to take, to go from the showboat, which was off the strip, go to go to the strip on Caesars, we had to take a cab. Guess what cab number we <laughs> took? It was flipping cab number 14. So we, we get done. And, uh, you know, it's probably 5.30 in the morning. Again, another night of not sleeping in Las Vegas. <laughs> like, yeah, we got to wrap this up. we got to head back to the hotel, get our stuff, and get to the airport. Well, I'm up $7,000. Kurt, Kurt's up $14,000. He's wow. like, hey, hey, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, Kurt, this is insane, you know. So... We get back to the hotel, going to take the cab back to the hotel, and guess what cab takes, or back to the airport, guess what cab takes us to the airport? It's cab flipping 14 again. Different driver, but it was cab 14. 
And Kurt just would not live that down. He comes in interview day the next, the next uh, or we usually had him on Tuesdays. He comes in, he makes sure that he is there at 8.14 so that he could be in the control room to just tell me 14. I'm like, Jesus wow. Christ, what the hell? He goes, <laughs> and, and, and I kid you not, but I recall him saying, I'm perfect. A yeah, foreshadowing. Yeah. Yes, of the Mr. Perfect. Yeah. 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 So anyway, Wow. That, yeah, that's, that's a good story. It's uh, one I told Lenise, and she just smiled, and so did Hank. And, and I can still see Kurt with that ever-eating, shit-eating grin on his face <laughs> of, of he, um, I was at a wrestling show this past weekend, and I can't believe I hadn't thought of it, but the best analogy that I can give to what Kurt Henning was like was Dennis the Menace. He just, yeah. he, he loved, <laughs> he loved to mess with people to just, but not, not in a bad way or a mean right. way. But just as like a practical joker, or as we say in the business of river, and he he was the king of ribs. Yeah, yeah, I've heard stories, and it was so great to meet uh, Lenise and and Hank, like I said earlier. And I met Joe actually in uh, Dallas last year. Uh, he said he's starting to get back into it. I don't know what he's up to now, um, but great great family. Um, I've heard a lot of great stories about Kurt, and since you had interaction with him, I was I was glad to hear. That's a good one, though. The, the Vegas, the seven and fourteen. That's that's great. So let's talk a little bit about um, you know working in the AWA. You you did a lot of production. Um, did you have a lot of interaction with Vern or, and 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 or Greg or? Uh, Al Darusha, those guys. I know you had interaction with uh, with Larry and Rod Trongar and those guys, but what about that? You know, Vern, uh, Greg, the guys that you know, the owner and the owner's son. What was that kind of stuff like for you? Well, they were. I saw them more than I would see uh, the majority of the talent because Vern and Greg were in the office every day. Uh, okay. The old AWA studio was uh, a renovated old church, uh, single level, single level, uh, vaulted ceilings. And when you walked in, um, there's the lobby, and then you'd go straight ahead, and those would be the offices. But when you walk into the lobby, to the right was the studio. So uh, pretty much on a daily basis, I would see and interact with Bert and Greg, uh, uh, setting up the next week's TV, getting uh, formats approved, uh, uh, working on them on interview days, uh, just – Everything in general, getting uh, scheduling interviews uh, for uh, for talent that wouldn't be there necessarily on interview dates. It was a long, arduous day, anywhere from six to twelve hours long. Um, But Vern, um, you you know, you you have some of his detractors who say that he, uh, well, basically that he was a prick, but. I can't go that far. I will say that Vern was a very shrewd businessman. Uh, he was known in the industry for paying well and being one yeah. of the best payoffs in the business. Um, what I will say about him is he was just one of those guys that had a charisma about him, the way he carried himself. And when when we'd walk into uh, to a restaurant or any place that where there were people, mm-hmm. he was recognized. People yeah. would come up to him. Vern would eat it up, and he was a pro, a absolute pro at interacting with the public. Yeah. Uh, ate it up and did a fantastic job um, with it. 
and uh, it, it, he was great. He was phenomenal um, to work for, uh, even though my time at the AWA, sadly, was uh, what was the end of it. Yeah. Um, but maintained uh, uh, a, a friendship, really, mm-hmm. with with uh, um, with Vern, so much so that I, I mean, Vern and Nick uh, Nick Bockwinkel were uh, both at my wedding. Uh, oh wow! On my uh, uh, Polish Joe's AWA Memories uh, Facebook page, I I posted the picture. Um, I, uh, it's myself in the middle in my tux, and I got Vern on one side and Nick on the other side. But the wedding photographer took it, and my wife had it blown up to um, poster size, and then had both Nick and Vern autograph for autograph it for me, had it framed and she gave that to me. Might that might have even been, I think, for our first anniversary photo. Wow. And uh Nick came over to the house one day, uh had it uh hanging up, and he goes, Joe, you notice something about Vern in the picture? And I'm like, No, it's just Vern in the picture. And he goes, Well, take a look at how I'm standing and you know, I've I've got you know, my arms around both of them. And I was, Nick, Nick was about 6'2", Vern was maybe six foot, so I was taller than them. So, you know, had my arms around their shoulders. Nick is standing there, arms that aside, you know, posing, being Nicholas Bach as he was. <laughs> Vern, and this is what Nick point, pointed out, Vern is holding my arm that's around his shoulder. He's holding my wrist. And Nick goes, you know why Vern's doing that, don't you? And I go, no, I don't know. He goes, just wanted to make sure you weren't going to get one up on him. He was always <laughs> on the defensive <laughs> for that. And wow. so uh, I asked Vern about that. He wouldn't comment. He just, that, that Vern Ganya smile and that little, <laughs> little, little giggle, um, was all that he, uh, that he said about it. Uh, yeah. but you know, that got married in 98 and that friendship, um, Keeping that friendship actually got me back into the AWA um, starting in December of 99. Uh, And and this, uh, I'll I'll, uh, evolve this into uh, Greg Gagne. I mean, I I was on good terms with both Vern and Greg at the end of the AWA. Didn't have much interaction with them uh, in the 90s. My career had taken me to a... uh, uh, working for an educational multimedia company, doing uh, production for them. And uh, then I started my own business in, uh, in 1995 and have been self-employed since then. But in oh. December of 99, um, Greg Gagne had called me up and said that uh, they had gotten a sponsor and they wanted to do uh, 13 half-hour shows on uh, on Channel 9, KMSP Channel 9, which is the station that the AWA was on at the end of its run, they had agreed to do 13 half-hour shows. And Greg asked if I would come back and uh, uh, produce, direct, edit, do everything for that. And we did. It got to be the, the the ratings were fantastic. The response from people was fantastic, and all we did was we used the old footage from the library, matches mm-hmm. um, from the civic center, you know, whatever it was, and just highlighted a particular talent. You know, it'd be Andre one week, Crusher the next, Hulk Hogan the next, High Flyers, you know, you name it. But it got so it, the reception was so good that we were able to um, um, catch the attention of the Hubbard family, who owned um, uh, a local station, KSTP, uh, among other media things. The, the Hubbards are, you know, I think they're in the Forbes 400. I mean, they're very wealthy. But they, had, they owned USSB Satellite, and they had just sold it to DirecTV. Well, after the three months um, of, of doing the show, so first quarter of 2000, uh, mm-hmm. Stan Hubbard Jr. said, well, hey, we got USSB. Let's do a test and uh, do a pay-per-view on USSB. 
So we did a two-hour show, the best of AWA Classic Wrestling Volume 1. Yeah. And the numbers did so well, it was so popular, that we ended up doing not only twenty a total of 24 AWA pay-per-views, but we ended up doing, I think it was another 17 pay-per-views using... Mm-hmm. Other libraries. Um, we did one for Glow. We, we, uh, um, a, a gentleman by the name of Mark Nolte had, uh, um, uh, access to, uh, Florida Championship Wrestling, Memphis, Southwest Championship Wrestling. And so we did a whole, and then later on, Mike Graham and Dusty Rhodes. We did three shows with them to, um, uh, to, 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 broadcast Florida Championship Wrestling matches, which the Graham family owned. And um, so we did that for about three years until what became the eventual sale of the AWA. Uh, we finalized the, um, the, the, the the sale in March of 2003 to the WWE. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of iffy on that. I mean, I... I... They don't show, to me anyways, they don't show all the really good stuff in that library on when they had the network and now on Peacock even. I just, some of it's good, you know, like Wrestle Rock, Super Clash 2, 1, 3, and 4, or, you know, but uh, Super Sunday, but they don't have those classic matches from the 60s and 70s on there and it's it's they got like two shows from the you know 87 and five shows from 88 and that's about it and it's kind of frustrating to me because there's so i don't i I think they're doing that on purpose that's my personal opinion because they had such they have such great content which you were a part of but and i don't think they want to show it because I think it was better than what they had in the era of the 70s and, and, and up to before Vince Jr. took it over. That's my opinion. I don't know what your thoughts yeah, are I, on it. I don't have any insight to, to share as to why they don't show more of it. I have heard this exact statement from many yeah. different people saying the same thing. I wish that they would show, uh, more of the old matches, uh, uh, hell, even just showing a, a pulled up version or a version without commercials of the old uh, All Star Wrestling. Uh, as a producer, uh, I've never owned a network, but as a producer, the only thing I can think of is that they've got so much content. I mean, think of all of the libraries that they have bought over the years, yeah. and then they've got their own stuff. You know, the WWF stuff when Vince McMahon Sr. owned it. And I don't know that there's a lot of that on their network. You know? Um, There isn't. No. Yeah. You know, and so I don't think it's any slight towards the AWA or any particular territory. I think it's just a – there's only so much that we can – broadcast uh i mean yeah. hell I, I i think they should do just their own youtube channel and just uh play for each territory just do the pulled up version of each of the yeah. uh, of, of the old tv shows and you know play them as sequentially as you can and i say that because at least for the awa all of the stuff from the 60s and leading into the 70s was it was live mm-hmm. and not many or at least certainly not Vern uh, and Wally and Al at the time El Darush at the time who was the producer of the AWA uh, from the beginning until he left in uh, I think 84 to the uh, WWF for a short bit but it really they didn't think about recording those on the videotape because videotape was extremely expensive back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the big old one inch reels and a 60 minute tape uh, weighed about seven pounds. And I, gosh, I may be off on this, but it, I, I want to say it was like 70 bucks 
or more for a single reel. And that was a lot of money back then. Yeah. And so what the AWA would do is if they recorded something, once they got done using what they wanted to off of it, they'd just record over it. And it wasn't until uh, really um, starting in the fall of 1980 that uh, Al Darusha started, you know, told Vern, you gotta, you gotta keep this stuff. You gotta yeah, yeah. record this and keep this for the future. By, by that time, and certainly even before then, reruns were, were, were big and, 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 um, thinking outside of the box of the weekly all-star wrestling show only, uh, you had to start thinking about it. And yeah. so starting in about the fall of 80, and I remember this because I can still remember seeing Hulk Hogan's very first interview in the AWA, uh, Minneapolis Auditorium, I believe it was. And the interview, there, there's this big monster, Hulk Hogan. He didn't talk. Because quite honestly, and I think he would admit to this, and he was still green on interviews. I mean, <laughs> he, right, he, yeah. he wasn't what we know uh, of the legend, uh, the deserved title of legend for Hulk Hogan. So they, yeah. what they did back in those days, and I still think they do nowadays to a lesser degree, you couldn't talk, well, we're going to put you with the manager. So mm-hmm. he had luscious Johnny Valiant um, typing up Hulk Hogan, and that was in August of uh, of 1980. And thankfully, same time period that Al and, and I'll say Vernon and Greg too decided they got to start keeping all of these old shows. And yeah. thankfully they did and had a nice yeah. payday with the sales of the WWF or WWE. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, I didn't know that. See, I didn't know they recorded over their old shows. So that's that's too bad because yeah, I know even, they would have had a. I mean, even when uh, when I was working there, be, just due to Vern not wanting to spend, to have that budget item, to have that expense, uh, interviews. I had mentioned earlier every week we would do interviews, typically on a Tuesday, sometimes on a Wednesday, where all the talent would come in and we would do the market. Added interviews. We had our the general All Star Wrestling show, one hour show. Come, uh, interviews were anywhere from a minute and a half to two and a half minutes long, depending on the talent and whether or not they could carry an interview for two and a half minutes. And um, a lot of those interview reels, once they were done, we'd save them for a couple of weeks. If there's anything really special about them. We'd spin them off to either a three-quarter inch or another working one-inch tape, and then we'd record over them, sadly. Mm. You know, a lot of those outtakes we don't have. Um, you know, the the uh, sadly, at that point, uh, watching the pennies resulted in lost dollars years later. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Let me ask you this. After the AWA... Did you do any other type of wrestling programming for any other promotions? <laughs> um, <clears throat> none of the major ones. It's all been for uh, uh, for indie leagues uh, here in Minnesota. Um, I've, uh, gosh, I even had my own wrestling league for a short time. Um, but uh, the, the first company that contacted me, uh, I, I did their shows for a while, and then the promoter decided he wanted to get out of it. So I said, you know what? You still got the TV contract. I'm going to take it over, um, start my own league, which was called the American Wrestling League, or AWL. Did okay. that for about a year and uh, didn't make any money on it, despite uh, I didn't lose money. But once the TV contract, uh, it wasn't renewed, I want to say in the summer of 2005, um, okay. when, when that wasn't renewed, I'm like, I'm a TV guy who just happens to do a lot of wrestling, and without a TV contract, I don't have any interest in doing it. So yeah. since then, I've worked with um, one, two, three, four, 
four other independent uh, wrestling organizations. In fact, I was just at a, a show this past Saturday um, okay. uh, for uh, Midwest All-Star Wrestling, or MAW. Um, at a show at uh, uh, the Turtle Lake Casino, St. Croix Turtle Lake Casino in Wisconsin. Ah. So they, they hired me to come and direct the show and finish with a cage match. That was fun because it was the first cage match I had directed since uh, December of 1987, the Rockers oh, wow. Rose and Summers. Uh, and so oh, that was a good one. Yes. And so, yeah. you know, it was fun. So I... I I, I joke that professional wrestling just won't leave me alone. It keeps following yeah. me. The truth is I don't really want it to, to avoid me. Yeah. Um, but it does, you know, it, it does keep finding me. In fact, I mean, even yeah. today to get back to Greg Ganya, um, Greg is involved with power town wrestling. Yes. Yeah. And um, um, Power Town is headed up by a gentleman named uh, Steve Rosenthal, who mm-hmm. uh, is credited with starting the genre of professional wrestling action figures with the old Remco dolls. Correct. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, so anyway, they contacted me, and and uh, so I'm working with them right now to. Good. Uh, to get their product line rolled out and, and launched. Uh, the first figures uh, apparently will be finally released this uh, spring. Yes. Um, I got to tell you, they look, that especially the, the Brody, the Brody yes. action, it's like, holy shit, that looks like Frank Goodish. The same yeah. guy who I gave a ride back to the hotel room, <laughs> back to his hotel after Wrestle Rock. And scared the shit out of me until I got to know him. <laughs> <laughs> I ordered those figures um, back in I don't know October I think it was, and uh, I'm so excited to uh, to get them. I ordered the whole series one set. Yeah, and well, uh, I, that. I, I will have to add part of the reason for the delay. Um, they were going to be released. They would have been released by now, but they did yeah. um, uh, when they got the first run back. Um, when they went to articulate the legs, it wouldn't go up far enough, and it actually oh, broke. Okay. And so, oh, rather than develop, okay. a, rather than release a product that we weren't a hundred percent satisfied with, we went yeah. back into production, uh, okay. got them reconfigured, reconstructed, and that's now solved and production now has commenced on those final figures to be released. So I'm looking forward to those. And, uh, you know, I, I was able to interview Stan Hansen for it. Um, Carrie Von Eric's daughter, um, Barb Goodish, um, uh, Bruce Brody's wife, Greg Gagne, Magnum TA. And it, it's just fun, you know, learn. Yeah. Learned several things, like with uh, uh, Stan Hansen, when when uh, Stan would get introduced and he would always, you know, do the hook'em horns and then would yell, "You!" Well, I asked, I asked him, "What were you yelling when you would do that?" And he's chuckled and he goes, "Well, when I first started in the business, it was a shot to the old guys, and what he was yelling was youth." Ah. Well, he chuckled because now he's one of the old guys. <laughs> and then Barb Goodish, um, I asked her, uh, you know, when, when Brody would come out, why, how and why did that start? Yeah. Well, she tells the story that in one of his early matches, he came out and he was clearing his his throat as he was walking out, and he liked the way that it sounded. And so he decided to just go, like he's clearing his throat. So there you go. It's just, it, it's a pleasure to, uh, and an honor to talk with, uh, whether you know, the talent that is still alive, uh, or, or their families, just to get that retrospective of yeah. these legends of professional yeah. wrestling. 
Yeah, I had the honor of I've interviewed Barbara Goodish probably about a year ago now on here, and just a sweet lady. I had the opportunity to meet her at uh, the CAC reunion in Vegas last fall, and this uh, May uh, they're having the Bruiser Brody Memorial up in in uh, St. Louis, and I'm going to that. Greg will be there, Ganya, and uh, a bunch of Stan Hansen. So. Hopefully those figures will be out because I would love to get my Stan Hansen one autographed by Stan Hansen. So I'm looking forward to that. One last question, Polish Joe. Yep. You're on the number one pre self-proclaimed preeminent podcast, AWA Unleashed. How did you get involved with that and how's it going with that podcast with you? <laughs> So, um, Mick Karch, who is um, one of the other co-hosts, along with yes. uh, Chris Tubbs, um, but uh, Nick worked for a very brief time with the AWA back in 1987, mm-hmm. and Mick and I, I can't even tell you the number of, of shows, um, mainly indie shows over the years, that we have worked together. Um, I've hired them to do play-by-play commentary when I had my own league, as I mentioned earlier, and we just had a friendship. And the mm-hmm. last, uh, I, I've seen that they had done the uh, AWA Unleashed. Um, they had a uh, another uh, co-host, George Shire, was part of it in the beginning, mm-hmm. and uh, that didn't work out um, uh, for George. Um or in general for the podcast. And so I ran into uh, both Mick and Chris at uh, a wrestling show that I was directing last November. And we just got to talking. Oh, by the way, they had, they did have me on as a guest prior. Right. And uh, um, I just talking with Chris and she said, Hey, I'd love to, you know, have you be a co-host. They were down to two, and they felt that they they wanted a third. Uh, they thought that I'd be a good fit. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, now for about two, three months, I've been doing the AWA Unleashed podcast, and uh, I don't find it to be work. And much like yeah. this podcast, it's yeah. not work. You know, work to me is you have to – I don't know if struggle is the right word, but you got to work towards or put forth yeah. a strong effort to uh, to be, dare I say, good at it. Well, for right. me, it's easy because I lived it. You know, yeah. so it, it's just talking about my experiences, talking about myself, whether it's as a fan growing up watching All-Star Wrestling or working in the business, um, you know, since 1985, off and on. So yeah. it's real easy. I really enjoy it. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, for your listeners, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't subscribed yeah. to it already, go to YouTube, AWA Unleashed, and uh, yeah. uh, you know, if you don't get a, a, a fill of my voice right now, I know, a glutton for more punishment, then subscribe to AWA Unleashed <laughs> and enjoy some some old uh, wrestling stories. Yeah. It is a great podcast. Uh, I've listened to it. I know Mick. I know Chris. Uh, I've interacted with you, uh, and you're a really nice. It's a great show. It really does talk about the AWA and, and that era when, you know, to me and, and to those that listen, what wrestling was wrestling. You know, it was it was great. And it was a great podcast, and your addition to it, because I've watched it since you've been on there as well, and it is. You guys have a good chemistry together, it feels like, it seems like, and you you mesh well, and uh, it, 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 it's good. So I will have all that information down in the description for the AWA Unleashed. Thank you. And uh, one more time, folks, Polish Joe Chupek, thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, oh, my pleasure. It's easy and it's just fun to talk about the old, old AWA. Usually I'm sitting uh, sitting at some bar and somebody finds out I produced the AWA and 
what, what turns into one question ends up to, uh, as the crusher would say, two, three beers and, uh, uh, or more and a long, uh, long storytelling. Again, it's easy. I love to do it. Um, I, I have nothing but fond memories of my time with the AWA and, and still to this yeah. day in professional wrestling. It's a very unique industry. Uh, and I, I just, I just love it. Just love it. Yeah. I do as well, and I enjoy doing these podcasts, and I want to thank you one more time for coming on, Joe. Ladies and gentlemen, Polish Joe, thank you again, sir, for coming on. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. If you're listening, thank you. If you're watching, thank you, and we will talk to you soon. Hey, this is the Total Package, Lex Luger. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. Hey, guys, before we get started, I just wanted to read this commercial because it's an agreement that we made with a really great podcast, and I want to tell you guys all about it. Pro Wrestling Interviews, it features guests who are hot indie stars as well as the greats of the ring. Each week, you can join the amazing Velvet as well as Dr. John as they host this jam-packed hour of interviews, pro wrestling news, and entertaining guests. It's an hour you don't want to miss. Trust me, you don't want to miss it. Every Sunday... 9 p.m. Eastern. Just go to ProWrestlingInterviews.com, and it'll take you to their Facebook page where you can get the custom podcast link for that week. Don't miss a second of Pro Wrestling Interviews. That's Sunday nights, 9 Eastern, ProWrestlingInterviews.com. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Check out In The Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kazzy Fist, Matt Grimm. And you and Ray are there too, right Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Yo, this is Jerry Stein of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. You getting ready to get nasty? Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010... VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts will include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hicks, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. Archive-free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter at VOCNation. Bill After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, Tony here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's, uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect well, is? Well, I'll tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found the true world champion. I finally found... What's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think, uh, I don't know what to say, but I, well, I want to say one thing. Bruno was an early champion. Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. So after, and once again, we're speaking here with Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiant? Well, actually, it was a, a, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a loss. Did you have anything to do? 
Well, yes, but the whole thing is this, that the rules, as I always understood them, was that you, the title could only be lost by pen or, or submission, which is the same rules as the, my title, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. 